When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. The panel. James Regan joins us this morning on the panel, as does uh, Hamish Bidwell, both uh, regular contributors, and we are thankful for that. And uh, Hamish Bidwell, there's a new book on the market. It's called Ross Taylor, Black and White. Uh, have you had a look at it? I haven't yet, no. I've been following um, the excerpts closely and uh, saw him on the Laura McGoldrick and been reflecting on, on the time because it was a really divided time in New Zealand cricket. I can think back to... Where I was working at the time of the Dominion Post, we had three cricket writers, so myself, Mark Enty and Jonathan Normo. And Jonathan had played for John Wright in his brief Black Caps career, and he was very upset when John lost the coaching. And there was a feeling within our department that as soon as Hessen was installed, that um, Taylor's job was on the line. And I can recall straight after that going to Sri Lanka to cover the T20 World Cup and talking to Mike Hessen a day or two into the trip and asking him, just because South Africa and Australia had separate white wall and red wall captains at the time, would New Zealand never contemplate that? And he said, uh, Ross Taylor's the captain for now, that's a board decision, and we're doing our best to make it work. Now, that was it was pretty damning. Uh, it certainly fit the narrative that we had at the paper at the time that Ross was under pressure. And I wrote that, um, was hoping to leave it. I remember my boss saying, you're going to have to go harder again the next day, and being taken aside at the oldest scary ground in Candy by... Uh, Mike Sandal and Mike Heston and, and basically abused um, for writing that, trying to undermine the campaign. It was funny, though, I, I interviewed a player later that day who let all seen what had happened with me and the, the management, and he said to me after the interview, look, mate, you need to understand that not everyone's against you. Um, you're on the right track. So I don't know whether the players were moving against them. I don't know whether they should have been moving against them. I feel history probably vindicated what happened in the sense that I think the right guy ended up being in charge of the Black Caps and I think the performances on the park showed that but it was actually difficult for Taylor and we had to sort of interview him again various times during the tournament. He was a broken man. He knew that his days were numbered. He didn't understand what the agenda might have been that I had and why I was trying to undermine him and why the players were seeking to undermine him. It was a really difficult time for him notably but even after the tour there was a bit of dithering from NZC and we got back to New Zealand and people were saying to me, geez, mate, did you make more of it than there was? Did you imagine it? Um, the test team a few weeks later went to Sri Lanka and Taylor was still captain and there was sort of like, oh, Jesus, maybe I was wrong. But uh, as we know, events unfolded on that trip and he got a knock on the door and was told that his days were numbered. So, yeah, it was bloody unfortunate. I mean, people had different sides and you were pro one or pro the other or seemed to have to be. And it was hellishly difficult. And to see Ross 
on with Laura McGoldrick the other day and to see the hurt that he still carries and to see that the, the, the subsequent success of the team probably hasn't softened the blow for him. Um, I feel terribly sad for him because he was a bloody decent and remains a bloody decent person and a hell of a good cricketer. And I, I feel when I put my mouth on these issues, I insult your intelligence a bit, Ian, because you're far more intimately connected to this story than I am. But, yeah, it's been an interesting time and interesting to reflect on it again. It has, uh, Hamish, and uh, nice to hear um, uh, that story about uh, your your personal involvement in it as well. And um, yeah, uh, it has been. It's, it's taken its its toll on him. Um, I, I hope now. I really hope now that um, now that he has uh, come out and 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 let the world know exactly how he was feeling. Um, that it, it'll sort of put a, a, a slightly bigger um, full stop on it for him. I don't think it'll ever go away, Hamish, as you say. Uh, I don't think it'll ever go away because the hurt was too deep. But I, I think now that he's actually got it out in the open and been able to talk about it a lot more freely without pressure of uh, surrounding people, etc., uh, I think he'll be the better for that as uh, an individual. Let's hope so, uh, Hamish. Thanks for those thoughts. Uh, James, good morning to you. Um, as we speak, uh, apparently there is a nine-strong NZR board meeting or, or about to happen to decide um, Ian Foster's fate. Does it take nine people to sort through this? I mean, what are we looking at here? Yeah, morning, Smithy. Morning, Hamish. Um, yeah, yeah, it's going to be an interesting kind of 20, 24, 48 hours. I think the way I was there at the airport when um, when the team got back late uh, late Monday night, and the way Ian Foster came out and spoke to media was someone who's confident or looks confident that they were on the right track and they were going to keep their job. And not only that, but the way the players have come out in support of him, mm-hmm. you can kind of feel the public turning. Uh, turning the tide a bit in support of him as well. There's no way they can get rid of him at, at this stage, especially at the stage of the rugby championship off the back of a really good win at Alice Park. So the, the board, whoever is meeting and whoever ultimately makes the decision, has got a lot to think about. They've got a lot to think about the, how the players are going to feel if they get rid of him, how the public are going to react, what it looks like from a PR point of view. So I don't think... Um, that Ian Foster is on the way out. I think he'll be given to at least the end of the rugby championship. And then after that, who knows? Um, results depending, of course. But especially the way it was handled after that game, the way Mark Robinson came out in that press conference on Zoom and, and said nothing, basically, um, was a bit of a PR disaster. And now there's, there's no way, surely no way, that they can get rid of Ian Foster at this stage. Well, does it suggest to you then, Hamish, that it goes deeper than just rugby results? This, I mean, we, what are we looking at? The financial implications. What does it take? Nine people. I mean, a lot of those nine people are, would like the game of rugby, would follow the game of rugby, but probably don't know um, the ins and outs of putting a, an all-black test team together. So, and the coaching structure that's needed for that. So, why nine? Is it is it deeper? Goes deeper than just a, a head coach? Look. You'd be aware of the rumours that are going around. I, I was told by someone well-connected yesterday that contracts with a new coaching group were signed on or agreed to on Saturday, and it's just a matter of getting that rubber stamped. I mean, I, the problem it's just we have. It's good that the names of the nine boards are out, of the nine board members are out there, and people can scrutinise them and scrutinise their backgrounds because this is a story of ineptitude, and it's not as Foster's ineptitude or even the teams. It's it's NZRs. They have dithered and sat on their hands to so long that they have created a situation where it's going to be difficult for them to actually make the right decision. And I think the right decision is 
and always has been, not for Ian Foster to be the All Blacks coach going way back to when he was appointed. But they've waited so long that the tide has, has turned on them and they would have been made a popular decision last week and no one would have grumbled and we'd have all got on with it. You know, even if you're Mark Robinson and you're not getting rid of Ian Foster, you know, come out last week and say as he, on Sunday when he was up, say, look, we back Ian. The players back Ian. We think the results will change. We don't care whether you don't like it. We have 100% confidence in him. He's the man to carry us forward. And we're moving on. We're putting a, a line under this issue and we're not discussing it again. That would have been leadership, but there's been no leadership. And it's good that the board's names are out there because they have not led. Whether your management or board at NZ Rugby, you have not led this situation at any stage. You've allowed the narrative to be controlled by the media. You've allowed your coach, whether you like him, rate him, don't like him, whatever, to look a fool. You've undermined them at every turn and you've destabilised the team. Now, that's just the terrible mismanagement of the situation. It's, it's, it's damaging the brand that they invest so much in that the game at every level, every club and every team in this country uh, gets by with less so the All Blacks can have more. And that works when the team's winning and everyone's prepared to accept that. But through their inaction, through their uh, inability to control the narrative, New Zealand rugby have actually destabilised that team. They've certainly destabilised their coach. And whatever decision they come to now, having waited too long, is going to be the wrong one. And they're going to be pilloried for it. Um, James is probably right. I have no... I wouldn't be shocked in any fashion if Ian Foster retained his job. But it won't reflect well on New Zealand rugby, whatever the outcome. No, it, it's not. It's been an ugly, an ugly period. There's no doubt about that. It's 10:32. Take a short break from the panel. When we come back, uh, we'll have uh, Hamish Bidwell and James Regan with us again on another couple of matters. But in the meantime, uh, we'll take a breath and uh, listen to the news from Araha. The panel. Yeah, an interesting one, uh, James uh, Regan, who's with us this morning, along with ha- Ham- Hamish Bidwell and uh, James. Uh, f- uh, what is it? Thirteen, fourteen All Blacks have been released uh, out of the squad that uh, was in South Africa to play NPC duty this weekend. I think that can only be good news. Most of them will be craving some action, um, including Roger Tuivasa-Sheck, of course. Uh, so he'll actually be able to lace up his boots. Uh, but uh, I, I just wonder, James, who, who actually made that decision? Um, was it the current All Black coaching structure that released them or the new one, possibly? Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting one. It's great for the competition, first of all, and especially, as you mentioned, to see the likes of Roger, who will be just wanting to play any time he can, right? Especially he's been in that All Black environment, which is which would have been really good for him as well, but now he'll be looking to take what he's learned from that and what he's taken from being in that that group um, back to playing rugby, which is which is what they all want to do. Um, who made that decision? Yeah, maybe it was already set in stone before they went to South Africa that those who perhaps didn't get as much game time would come back and play, um, play for the club. But, yeah, as we say, it's great for the competition. Anytime these guys get out and, and have a run around for their, for their regions, it's awesome to see. And, and it will be good for a lot of them who have just been training and travelling and training and travelling to actually stretch their legs and, and get a good, hopefully a good 80 minutes under their belt before they go back to back to the coalface and back to the rugby championship. Uh, Hamish Bidwell is with us uh, as well this morning and uh, James Anderson, of course, a prolific English uh, opening bowler about to play his 173rd test match, for God's sake. As a quick bowler, that is just unbelievable, unfathomable, but he's going to do it. Uh, but uh, he also has fears, uh, Hamish, for the future of Test cricket 
With the explosion of T20 leagues, of course, a brand new one coming out of the UAE, which will be very lucrative, right smack bang in the middle of our summer. Uh, so, uh, Hamish, uh, danger signs for Test cricket for you? Certainly danger signs for nations such as New Zealand who don't have England's luxury of, of putting guys like Anderson and Broad on Red Bull contracts and, and giving them a few tune-up games in county cricket, but otherwise just employing them to train for test match cricket and then play when, when selected. So uh, for New Zealand, we've seen it already with Trent Bolt and his decision to step away from red ball cricket. And, you know, we're going to get to a point where guys like Bolt are full-time sort of Mumbai Indians and you play for their team in the IPL, you play for the UAE franchise, you play for the South African franchise and whatever other competitions that they, they invest into as time goes on. And so, you know, perhaps we'll just have guys who, have, who play six tournaments a year for the one franchise in various competitions and that's what we get and the thing that will suffer as you alluded to is test cricket um, outside of Australia and England where they revere the ashes and they pour a lot of money into it that'll continue but the rest of us will play sort of two match series from time to time and, and often without our best players because they'll become as I say full time Rajasthan Royals or, or Mumbai Indians and just go around that circuit. Oh, look, I, I, I totally agree. I mean, uh, the, the danger signs are there, and particularly the timings of it, because, I mean, our Super Smash has, has lacked credibility right since uh, day one because we can't attract overseas talent, because we clash with the BBL, and, and quite frankly, James, we haven't got the money to mix it with them, but um, the, the worrying signs are there, and, and we're talking here about a nation who are the current World Test champions in two to three years, scrambling to find windows that decides uh, of, uh, you know, a more reputed... Uh, reputations as such um, uh, will want to play us. Uh, we'll, we'll have an opportunity to play us, James, and, and that is just sticking out really very clearly now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it, you, you'd have to think in the not-too-distant future there will come a time when there's a bit of a turning point in, in cricket and with, with new competitions popping up and money coming from different places, as we've seen with golf at the moment, the same kind of thing will happen with cricket and it'll happen with other sports where money plays a huge part and players and countries or whoever will have to choose. Do we want to stick with test cricket and grow test cricket and, and go down that path or do we kind of put that on the back burner and, and turn our attentions to white ball cricket more and more? Um, as, as well, players are going to have to have the biggest say because they're the ones who are being run ragged by the current schedule. I mean, we saw Ben Stokes come out a few weeks ago and say that this, you know something's got to give, basically, when he uh, retired from White Ball. And he's right. Players are going to have to choose. Um, and it'll be very, very telling what they choose, whether they, whether they stick with White Ball and, and the World Test Championship and, and pursue that, or they go actually, especially in the latter stages of their careers, do we, do we just chase the money and, and do we you know, play T20, T20 cricket and... And go from there. So something's got to give. It will give eventually. Um, when that'll be, I'm not sure. But you'd have to hope that, that the powers that be um, do do pay a lot of attention to to what the fans want and what and what's good for Test cricket, especially. Can the Warriors go back to back, James? Can they possibly beat the Cowboys? <laughs> yeah, you'd have to think. Um, given given what they dished up against the Bulldogs, that maybe that's. Um, it's quite telling that perhaps they've been able to lift lift themselves when when the season's pretty much done. Um, which you know, take that what you will. But yeah, they can they can certainly produce something on their day, whether they'll have that day or they'll revert to 
um, you know, how they did against the Rabbitohs when they were mentally not at the races and didn't have the energy that was needed uh, in an NRL game, who knows? But, um, yeah, yeah, I don't know what to say about the Warriors. They, they know they can do it. They know they can turn up and play a good game of footy. We saw that against the Bulldogs. Um, can they do it and will they do it? Uh, two different things at the moment. I think they've got a lot to, a lot to learn and a lot to take in over the next few weeks and into next year's pre-season. James Regan and Hamish Bidwell have been our panellists this morning and uh, some very interesting views on a number of subjects there from uh, the pair of them. We thank them very much and we uh, look forward to another panel. Perhaps not tomorrow morning because we've got to cricket here on SENZ, ball by ball, the West Indies against the Black Caps, uh, but certainly Friday and uh, tomorrow one is up in the air. Weather dependent, shall we say, which is uh, always the case around live cricket. It's 10.41 here on SENZ. Deck maintenance isn't fun. Move the furniture and barbecue, sand and prep, paint, seal, or get a low-maintenance Trex deck. The only colour fade you'll have to deal with is watching the sunset. Trex, the world's number one decking brand.